You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Turla's back with a depressingly nifty man-in-the-middle campaign. The U.S. thinks it sees Russia trying to influence Mexico's national elections. Russian banks are hit with a new mobile Trojan. Iran continues its internet crackdown and conducts more domestic surveillance and hacking. Winter Olympics-themed cyber attacks rely on well-crafted social engineering. Patch Tuesday addressed Spectre, Meltdown, Flash, and an Office Zero Day. And stay away from those flashlight apps. Take a look at your Dog Walkers app, too, while you're at it. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 10th, 2018. Remember Turla, the tail-clutching Urubura of cyberspace? It's back, or more accurately, it's returned to notice, since Turla never really left. The Cyber Espionage Group, one of the organs of Russian intelligence, is active for the most part against the near abroad, that is, against former Soviet republics, and also against former Warsaw Pact countries. Turla has also ventured further afield to spy on other targets, typically consulates, embassies, and other diplomatic missions. This time, it's returned with more sophisticated and elusive exploits. Turla has been observed using a flash installer to infect targets. The downloads appear to come from legitimate Adobe domains and IP addresses. In fact, they do not. It's a man-in-the-middle attack. ESET, which has just released a report on Turla's latest activities, said they've found the threat group to be using a web app hosted on Google Apps Script as their command and control for malware dropped by a bogus Flash installer. He said it's positive that the threat group hasn't compromised Adobe's servers. Instead, they switch files in transit during the Flash player installation process and install a backdoor that ESET is calling Mosquito. How Turla is substituting its malicious code remains a mystery, but ESET's report outlines four possibilities. They might be using a local man-in-the-middle attack, relying on a machine in the victim's network they've already compromised. Or they might be using a compromised gateway. They might be using BGP hijacking. Or finally, they might be executing a man-in-the-middle attack at the ISP level. ESET speculates that the likeliest of those would be exploitation of a compromised gateway. As noted, Turla's usual targets are diplomatic ones. Its typical interests are thought to involve political intelligence. There have been companies affected by Turla, but ESET regards these as being of incidental or at most secondary interest to Turla's masters. There's other news of Russian operations in cyberspace, but these involve allegations of influence operations in Latin America. The U.S. has accused Russia of undertaking a large information campaign aimed at influencing Mexico's 2018 national elections. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster said there were already signs that Moscow has begun a coordinated attempt to nudge opinion in the direction of López Obrador, 
leftist former mayor of Mexico City who's running on an anti-corruption platform. Kremlin news outlets RT and Sputnik have given Obrador noticeably positive coverage, but of course positive coverage is no crime, and neither the U.S. administration nor Mexico's foreign ministry have provided comment on or amplification of McMaster's observation. Propaganda is nothing new, nor are attempts to influence elections. Russian targets have also been victims of hacking. In this case, it's a fresh wave of cybercrime. A new mobile banking trojan, FakeBank, has appeared in Russia. The criminals behind it are afflicting customers of ShareBank, LitoBank, and VTB24. FakeBank is distinguished by its sophisticated use of multiple layers of obfuscation. Iran's internet crackdown continues. It's not just the blocking and censorship of the filternet, but online control extends to active surveillance and offensive cyber operations against Iranian citizens. These extended to phishing campaigns, again domestically focused. The Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, that branch of the armed services specifically charged with the mission of protecting the Islamic character of the state, is reported to have successfully intruded into individuals' online communications and made arrests on the basis of the content found in their systems. Much un-Islamic content is illegal under Iranian law, hence the name Halal Internet, that was initially used to describe the country's autarkic corner of cyberspace when the regime began to fence it off in 2011 during the administration of former President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Ahmadinejad himself, out of office for several years, is now under house arrest, charged with fomenting dissent. The still unattributed cyber offensive targeting South Korean companies during the run-up to the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics appears to depend upon effective timing and compelling fishbait, that is, on good social engineering, as opposed to technically sweet hacking. Patch Tuesday saw Microsoft fix 56 security issues. Redmond addressed not only Spectre and Meltdown, but also a zero day in the Office Equation Editor. The general round of patching for Spectre and Meltdown has continued, with most major vendors taking some steps to offer mitigations. Microsoft has pulled the fixes it offered for AMD chips, those appeared to brick machines, so AMD remediations remain a work in progress. If you're thinking of downloading a flashlight app for your Android phone, don't. Too many of them are malicious, and it's not worth the risk. Get a cheap LED light for your physical keychain instead. And finally, if you're the kind of person who engages a dog-walking service, which strikes us in this BYO dog shop as a little like sending your kids off to boarding school, maybe even a military boarding school, be advised that there are reports in the Wall Street Journal that WAG, the Uber of the dog-walking gig economy, may have accidentally exposed more than 50 customers' addresses and, worse yet, codes to the lockboxes in which they left their keys. WAG says it's notified effective customers and taken steps to better secure the data. It's worth noting that this is a report of an exposure and not an actual theft of information, so it's not known if any bad actors obtained and used the lockbox codes. So, but if security is now better at WAG, then good dog, good boy, good doggy, who's a good boy? Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. 
quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Dr. Yossi Oren. He's a senior lecturer at the Department of Software and Information Systems Engineering at Ben-Gurion University. He's also a member of BGU's Cybersecurity Research Center. Uh, Yossi, welcome back. Um, you all did some interesting research about uh, replacement touchscreens on phones and how that could be a vulnerability. Yes. Uh, so I just want to give credit to my uh, excellent students, uh, Omer Schwarz and Nir Cohen, and, uh, and Dr. Asaf Shabtai, who was my collaborator on this. We have our phones with us. We take them everywhere, and we trust them with everything. Of course, the, the companies who make these phones, it could be Google or Apple or Samsung and so on, they really do a lot of hard work protecting our phones from all sorts of attacks. So they check the software very carefully, and they have app stores and all sorts of protections. And uh, they also check all sorts of hardware, which is coming into their phone very carefully. Obviously, they don't build all the phone themselves. They buy components from all sorts of vendors, but they're very careful about stuff that goes into our phone, so they are secure. But in our lab, we started thinking, uh, what happens if we drop our phone or we dunk it in the toilet or whatever unfortunate thing happens to our phone, Hmm. and we don't go to the repair store, the official uh, Apple store or so on. We just go to the corner shop and get our phone repaired there for cheap. So what kind of risks are we exposing ourselves when we do this thing? Mm. We actually found out that there's something called uh, an attack envelope or uh, a threat boundary when you talk about security. And and you think about things outside this boundary as very, very dangerous. For example, if somebody sends you an attachment by email, it's going to be very, very risky. So you have to check all sorts of things about it. Mm. But there are things inside this trust boundary which you trust without asking anything. And we found out that the hardware which you replace on your phone, for example, a replacement touchscreen, is actually inside the trust boundary of the phone. 
And the phone trusts everything this uh, component does blindly without doing any sort of checking. So we called our attack, we made an attack, we called it shattered trust. So shattered because you shatter your screen, and trust is because you abuse this trust boundary. And we started thinking of what sort of damage can you do if your phone is completely protected and you have antivirus and everything is up to date, but the phone screen hardware is malicious. We have uh, very, very short videos on YouTube, about 30 seconds, showing all sorts of very, very um, crafty stuff you can do if your touchscreen is corrupted. For example, if I'm only controlling your touchscreen, I can wake up the phone in the middle of the night, take a picture of whatever is going on outside the phone, and then make an instant message or an email and send this picture to the adversary, to the enemy. And obviously, uh, the phone doesn't have to turn on the screen when this is happening. It could be completely in the dark. Another thing you can do, for example, is wait for the user to type in a URL and then very, very quickly replace this URL with a phishing URL. So mm -hmm. you're trying to, to log into your bank. So you type in mybank.com and you're, you're very sure that this is the right address. But I can very, very quickly replace this URL with a malicious URL and then I can get all your credentials from the bank. And it's going to happen so quickly that you won't notice. And another thing I can do, which is uh, actually more advanced, is we can do something which is called the buffer overflow. Mm. So we can take the data which is coming from the touchscreen into the smartphone, and we can send this data in a corrupted way, which actually causes the phone to execute code instead of processing these touches. And then we can actually do whatever we want on the phone. We can disable all of the protections you have on the phone, and then we can actually completely um, pwn it, as it's said. Yeah. And, and so is this a matter of uh, perhaps the hardware manufacturers need to you know, disallow third-party screens to protect against this sort of thing? So this is a kind of a legal policy issue. Um, hmm. there, is, there is a big battle in, in the U.S. called the right to repair. Right. And the question is, when I buy a phone, am I also legally entitled to have the tools and the parts and the manual so I can repair the phone myself. It, it could be a phone, it could be a car, it could be a tractor, it could be a plane and so on. And my personal opinion is that it's very, very much the fact that you have the right to repair and you should have the right to repair. So I don't want to make a, a world where you're not allowed to buy your own repair components and repair your phone yourselves. Hmm. But what I would like, uh, and this is something we're working on right now, is to have the phone be better protected against these attacks. So if you, for example, get a third-party replacement for your phone and you buy it off Amazon or off eBay, you could be a journalist and you're on mission in, in a country and you want to repair your own camera when it breaks and so on, I want you to be sure that if the replacement hardware you get is uh, questionable, it won't be able to damage your phone. So we're actually taking technology from the firewall world and we're bringing it into the phone. We're, we're shrinking it in size. And we want to build something we call... Uh, uh, peripheral firewall, which is doing the same thing as the firewall does on the network, only inside the phone. Now, it's interesting stuff, and uh, I think an area people don't uh, often think about. Uh, Dr. Yossi Oren, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.